you are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives podcast presented by SingleOps, a podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business. Welcome back to another episode of Green Industry Perspectives presented by SingleOps. My name is Jay Wirth. I'm the content marketing manager here and uh, this is going to be a lot of fun today. I'm really looking forward to this because this kind of combines two of my passions with the the green industry and also marketing. I think marketing is kind of overlooked in our industry a lot. Uh, I've got with me today, Tony Ricketts, CEO of Lawnline Marketing. Tony, how are you doing? Hey, Jay. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Uh, Tony, we open every episode the exact same way. Uh, we want to just ask, based on your experience, now you work with uh, landscape and lawn care companies all across the country. Based on your experience in dealing with these businesses, what are you know the top three kind of common threads you see in really successful green industry companies? Um, well, one, I think that those three things are going to change based on where they are in their business, right? The three things that I would see small companies in the few hundred thousand dollars a year doing versus what a seven or eight figure landscape company would be doing is successful. Those are going to be very different things. Uh, being that we work with these larger ones, uh, one of the first things that I always see is their, their operations and their training. They're systematized. Uh, the second thing I would say is that they never stop recruiting. They never stop marketing. They're always moving the train down the tracks at all times. Uh, and the third, I would say, are very active in their community. They get involved uh, in their community, and they also participate in their local industry. So get a part of affiliations and actually uh, become part of the organizations and uh, industry. I love it. I love those answers. Um, and I really am excited to dive into each of those. Um, if you would, just for those listening right now, if you would just you know give them a little bit of your history. I know you have some industry experience. You've actually worked in the green industry, but just um, tell people a little bit about your background and what you're bringing to the conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is a little bit unique. Uh, first, it started with me in website coding and internet uh, programming back in the early to mid 90s when the internet was first coming out. I was about 10 years old and my oh, father was a web developer. So he taught me these types of things really young and I just fell in love with it. I did it all through high school. Uh, after high school, I decided I was going to get a formal education in it and be able to work a career doing it, which is when I moved to uh, when I moved to Florida. I'm originally from Lafayette, Indiana. Now I live in Tampa, Florida, thank God. But uh, <laughs> um, I went to college in Florida, and while I was in college, I needed a job to work, and I worked on a landscaping crew. And so I worked on a softscape, softscape crew doing mostly new landscape bed renovations, installations, uh, annual flower plantings, mulch trimming, you know, that kind of stuff uh, for about two years. And I, I hated it. Uh, it was in South Florida in Fort Myers. It was terrible. Uh, I, I knew that this was not going to be my long-term career. So as I was coming towards the end of my college uh, education degree, I started working for uh, marketing firms, doing website development, doing custom apps, uh, doing some things like SEO, that type of thing. I worked in those agencies for a couple of years when I decided to go out on my own. Uh, when I first started to go out on my own, I moved from Fort Myers up to Tampa, uh, which was a great move. And I start with a generalist agency, like many digital marketing people do. They start working with local people in their area, mm -hmm. whatever services they offer. I worked with everybody from locksmiths to security companies to restaurants. It didn't matter. I would work with them. Uh, and it took me almost a decade to realize that I needed to niche down into a specific 
segment and an audience so that I could become an expert in that space mm. and uh, really build a following and things like that, which is in 2016 when I decided to shut down the generalist agency and focus on something more scalable, which would be a single niche, which was Luana Landscape. I chose Luana Landscape for many reasons, uh, but the main being that I knew the space. I had worked in it. I worked on the crew. I knew what it was like to be in the ditches with those types of people. Mm. Um, also, some of the services are quick sell services, so they get a fast ROI, not a ton of competition at the time when I joined. So those are some of the other reasons. Uh, but 2016, I started online marketing uh, where we are doing many of the same things we were doing in the generalist agency, but just focused specifically on lawn and landscape companies. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. That's tremendous. And I, <laughs> I got to be honest, I really didn't expect, forgive me for laughing, but I didn't expect the, I hated it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. So, you know, landscaping on a crew in the Midwest is probably okay. But when you're in Southwest Florida and that sun is beating down on you, it's hot. Man. That long, it gets so hot. So yeah, hot. That's you know, true. So, it, 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 was, it was very interesting. It's not something I wanted to do long-term. I did it yeah. for a couple of years though. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's, that's tremendous. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of value in some of the things that you said already. Um, you talked about becoming an expert in that space and like really fine tuning your craft in one particular area. And I thought that was really insightful. Um, I want to dive into these three things that you talked about though, these three kind of common threads, um, the first one you mentioned is they have systematized their operations and their training. And I got so freaking excited when I read this answer because I was like, yes, 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 this is what I think a lot of people need to hear this. Can you define um, real quickly, you know, just for our listeners, what do you mean when you say systematize? What does that look like? Absolutely. It means you're set up for scale. It means that you're ready to grow to the next level. Uh, you know, as many people who have grown their businesses have found, there's various obstacles that they'll find and have to conquer throughout the journey. You know, what got you to a million dollars isn't going to get you to five million, isn't going to get That's you right. to 20 million, isn't going to get you to 20 million. So in order to keep scaling at those levels, you have to have your processes and your training all very well, clearly defined and systematized, meaning that it can be repetitive over and over and over by various people that you train and end up getting the same result, right? Because it's one thing yes. when you're an owner operator out in the truck and you're, and you are personally training the guys that you're hiring, you're handpicking them. But imagine when you're no longer in the truck, you're not hiring anymore. You're not even doing the interviews. You've got a crew of a hundred people out there. You've got to make sure that you have documented the ways that you want things done in your company. And then training has been developed around those docu that documentation to ensure it can be executed and carried out in the, in the proper manner. Now, that's just like training. There's operations things like uh, how do you manage your lead volume? How do you manage yep. your projects? How do you manage your, your estimates that are going out? What does that follow-up process look like? What's it's the SOP for field operations? Exactly. Right? Exactly. There needs to be SOPs and training for pretty much everything. So when a new lead calls your business, how does that get handled? You know, who is answering that call? What are the questions that you're asking? Based on the answers that come up, what is the next steps to go for? After you get off the phone with them, if it was something you were able to bid based on a square footage, what does that follow-up process look like, right? These are all things that have to be in place because as you start dropping high volume things of high volume leads, high volume customers, high volume of employees, they need to be able to go through the systematic process to ensure that nobody gets left behind, balls don't fall through the cracks, 
and that everybody gets the same experience. I love this. So just want to make sure I understand what you're saying and just kind of like <clears throat> paint a, a um, word picture, if you will, for our listeners. Um, I think a lot of this ties into knowing your numbers as well, because in my mind, the way I picture this functioning is like, okay, I know that with a four man crew and there's one crew leader there, I can do, I don't know, let's say a half million dollars a year. Let's just put it, I'm just putting a number out there, right? Like I can do $500,000 with that four man crew throughout the course of a 12 month year. Now um, I need four crew leaders to report to one supervisor. And I know my labor burden, I know all of these numbers that can sustain. So when I hit another half million in growth, like I know, oh, I need to add another crew, right? Like, um, and then, and then all this, everything you need to, to onboard, um, to train, um, to execute on all of that is already in place, ready for that next crew to come in and be trained. Is that kind of what you're Yeah, absolutely. I mean, knowing your numbers is a very critical part to it. And as you're smaller, I don't think they realize how important it is. See, I feel that it's actually more important to know your numbers when you're smaller than when you're bigger. Because when you're bigger, you've got more padding to work with, right? You got bigger safety nets. When When you're smaller, you're working on skeleton crews, putting money out of your pocket or just barely breaking even. So one thing that a lot of people don't understand, and it's something I learned as well when I first started my entrepreneurial journey, is growth is expensive. See, you were just talking about that they're going to need to have a uh, a four-man crew. They're going to need to have a foreman. We're going to end up needing to put additional crews on. But what happens when you get so big that you need a dispatcher, for example, that all this person is doing is yep. making sure that the crews are going to the right place? This person doesn't produce any revenue for you. They're not out making sales. They're That's not right. out fulfilling anything. These are positions that you will have to hire. Other positions are going to be like your leadership team that don't actually provide any fulfillment of work for you, and they don't provide any new revenue for you. So these are costs that fall to your bottom line and don't go into your gross margins. And if you don't have your uh, your gross margins large enough to be able to account for these additional costs, then you will end up having no margins at the end of the day as That's you right. continue to scale because you you didn't account for it, right? You, you thought, I'm looking at my crew of, of four guys. You know, the time it takes them on this property is going to take them uh, 10 minutes. So my costs on here are X, I'm going to charge Y and I'm making these dollars here. But in that, in that Y dollars that you're profiting, you're not thinking about what you're going to have to put out to be able to run the business at scale. Right. And that's one of the most important things that I think people, especially when they're starting up and smaller, need to understand is as you grow, your cost to operate will increase significantly uh, and account for that in your price points. Yeah. And I think um, the thing they overlook, too, is um, the there's not to your point, right? Like they're not going to see a dollar and cent like this person's not producing billable revenue. They're not making sales. They're not doing whatever. Um, what you have to factor in is how much is this going to improve our efficiency by, right? Are, are we going to make a 10% improvement in our producibles or, or 15% or whatever? And then at what threshold do I need to bring? Does that difference, that extra money I'm bringing in cover the cost of the scheduler or the extra leaders or whatever? Right. Or um, the bigger yard that you're going to need or the office spaces or your software costs are going to keep increasing as you do. I mean, yep. everything keeps getting more and more expensive. Even 
think of the little things like your Christmas party. How much more expensive is a Christmas party with two or three guys versus Dude, 450? I've right? never even thought of that. You're hundred percent right. That's so true. Um, <laughs> so so to understand costs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's, and so I don't want to put words in your mouth. Correct me if I'm wrong, please stop me. It's important for companies to understand and systematize their operations and their training so that they can, so that they can scale. Like this yes. is how scale is achieved. Yes. Is that fair to say? A hundred percent. You cannot, you cannot scale without having that training, the SOPs, all of those things in place. Uh, it, it's just a requirement. You can't, you can't do it without it. And it even goes, I mean, in our agency, we have very specific procedures and processes about what computers we use here, where we buy those computers from. So in your guys' industry, what equipment are you using? Who are you buying equipment from, right? Mm -hmm. If um, you guys ride around on Z-sprays, then whoever you put in charge one day to be able to buy the equipment needs to know that you buy Z-sprays and you buy them from this dealer, right? So even yep. things like that have to be documented in order to be scaled, yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with you. What are, um, have you noticed any common roadblocks when there are companies trying to adopt these, these, this systematic approach? Um, what kind of things do challenges do they run into when they're trying to, to first implement this? I would say the biggest challenge, and I think we all face it is the fear, the fear to be able to do it. So mm. there's, significant costs that are required and you cannot do this stuff yourself. One of the things that I learned in my entrepreneurial journey is that you have to build a team talking of putting all of these processes in place and these SOPs and these training documents. It is very likely that you are not the best person to do that as the owner. You are the best person to communicate that but how are your writing skills? How are your organization skills? How are your documentation skills? If you're not good in these things, then it doesn't matter. You need somebody who is good at that. This is where you'd yes. be looking at like a COO or an operations director or an operations manager, somebody that does know how to put those scalable systems in place and those types of documentations in place. You'll want to hire them people to come in and be part of your company. And in order to hire that person, you're going to have to go out on a limb and trust that you're going to be able to increase your revenue to be able to pay for this person. I, through my journey, I can remember yeah. twice where I quit taking a salary and paying myself so that I can make these key hires that I had to make in order to scale to the, the place that I wanted to go. So I would say the number one thing is holding back, holding them back is fear because they sit down, they look at it's like, I've got this elephant of processes and SOPs and training that I got to develop. And I don't know anything about this stuff. I know how to go out there and dig holes, or I know how to go out there and cut lawns. You know, I'm not a business guy. And if you're mm -hmm. not willing to take the time to learn that and, and do those things, then you got to hire somebody to do it. And that gets scary. Yeah. So. No, that's, that's a really insightful um, observation. That's not actually where I thought that question was going to go, but I'm, I'm glad it went there because yeah. I think a lot of people probably needed to hear that. Um, mm -hmm. any practical tips for how to go about, like, how should I start creating the documentation, you know, the, the system, systematizing my operations, my training, et cetera, how would they go about starting that process? If you, I mean, I would, if, if, it, if, if, if it were me, I would look at what am I doing the most of, right? What are we doing the most common that needs to get documented first? 
Uh, outside of those more, yes. the most commonality things, I would be looking at things that are problematic. Where do we keep dropping the ball out? Where are our customer complaints coming from? And let me start making sure that we're documenting those. It's also important to understand the, the documentation process. See, the SOPs and training are typically two different things. That's one thing I always, I always push. If, outside of this, I actually do a lot of training for other digital marketing agencies and teach them how to grow their businesses. And one of the things that I say is SOPs and processes are different from training. SOPs and processes are the step one, step two, step three on how to do something. Whereas the training is the why and the reason behind it of why things need to be done in that way yeah. so that they understand it. So one, make sure you've got a platform available for this. Uh, you could do it old school, like uh, paper and a binder, but it's not going to be ideal. There are platforms out there designed for this. Uh, there's companies out there called like Trainual, for example, is one where you can load in videos and written content and assessments and all of these types of things. Uh, one example of a client that uh, we work with, A-plus Lawn and Landscape out of Des Moines, I think they're around 150, 200 uh, employees. Now, one thing that they have is when an employee applies, they go through an online type training where they watch various videos on how to adjust the spraying machines and how to do this and how to do that. And after they watch each segment, they take a little test on it to make sure that they got it. After they go through the whole virtualized thing, then they're going to be doing a, uh, a live in-person example showing that they know how to do what they just learned, right? So they've got it set up in a systematic way that when they hire in a new lawn tech, this lawn tech goes into this system, they go through these trainings, they take these tests, and then they, they do these performance evaluations. So it's very clear cut, the same process over and over and over. But you've got to do all that. You got to pull the video camera out and you got to shoot it. You mm -hmm. got to pull out the sign up for these systems and you got to write it all up. You got to come up with all the tests that should show that they know what they actually just went through and just read. And unfortunately, there is no quick way to do that. Also, this is yep. was not built in a day. You don't have to have it all done in the first week that your business is running, right? You can build a little bit as time goes on and eventually be able to hire somebody else that will take this off of your plate and uh, be able to do it for you. And that's actually where I thought the question was going to go. When I asked you about roadblocks, I thought time immediately. That was the thing I thought is right. like, this is super time consuming on the front end, it right? Is. And people sure. say it's easier for me to just show somebody how to do it, but like, Long term, if you if you were able to add up all the hours, all the times you're going to have to explain the way you want something done over and over and over again, <laughs> like right. just do it once, film it once, whatever, record it, audio, turn it into a podcast, whatever, right? Do it, do it once, and that way, um, you know, people will, you know, it's it's there as evergreen for you for your business, right? A hundred percent, and that's where I was kind of talking about where it depends on where you are in your business, right? Because if you were like me, I was a business owner and I'm actually sure this is probably the more common option. I was a business owner where I didn't focus on SOPs, processes, and trainings at the beginning of my company. It didn't come until we were getting close to a million dollars in revenue that I was like, well, we better start putting some of this stuff in place to make sure that yeah. we continue to, to operate in a, in a smooth uh, way, delivering uh, consistent results and consistent quality. So when I really dove in to start building out the SOPs and trainings, our business is already at the level where we could start affording people to do it for us, right? Like where we're starting to build our leadership team and those in my company 
I have uh, directors that run their entire departments and each department has its own sets of training and SOPs. And that director is responsible for their own training and their own SOPs. So yes, I had to do a little bit of it, but as you, if you do it later on, let's say that you're already at a $500,000 business or a million dollar a year company, and you've got a, a fur and weed division, you've got a maintenance division and a landscape division. If you've got somebody running that landscape division, then just delegate it to them, right? That's one of the things that you'll yeah. have to, that's what, you, what you'll have to learn as an entrepreneur is delegation. Uh, because you as the owner, you don't have time to do all of this. So we have hundreds of training documents and SOPs, but I wrote very few of them. So that's why I didn't go straight to the time aspect when you asked me that question. Yeah, makes sense. The fear of hiring those people that are going to take uh, the time to do it for you. Absolutely. And and truthfully, um, a really good division manager uh, or whatever is going to say, hey, I know how to do it, but I'm not the most efficient person at it. Let me find my right. guys who are really good at that right. and I'm going to have them record the video and right. they'll deliver it to me and then I'll right. pass it up the chain and, and then, right. and somebody else collates it all. So um, yeah, I, I, I love, I love this whole conversation. I think this is really, really insightful. Um, the second point you brought up was they never stop recruiting or marketing. And again, I just, I almost got giddy when I saw this answer. I was like, yes, this is where we need to go. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm sure I have people that are listening to this right now that say, I'm fully staffed. I literally can't afford to bring on another head or I've got a massive backlog as it is. I had to scale back my marketing because you know I was making customers wait too long, whatever. Can yep. you share from your standpoint, why is consistently recruiting and marketing so vital to success? Right. Uh, because they uh, they become roadblocks. These are some of your biggest roadblocks, right? Just like you gave a perfect example. Yes. We see it, we see it often here is I need to pull back my marketing because I am at capacity. I cannot mm -hmm. take on more customers. Why am I spending marketing dollars to make a phone ring that I pick up and tell I can't help you? So you have to keep both things going together. You don't want to set it up in a, in a staggered area where you get in people, now you got to get the uh, customers. You get more employees, now you got to get more customers, right? And you just slowly go up one piece at a time. It's They work together. <clears throat> so in one yes. complement the other. So marketing brings employees, right? It's always, there's indeed out there. And whenever you need to hire somebody, put a, put a job post out there. <clears throat> now, I know that you guys work with Jeffrey Scott a lot. And he wrote the book and coined the term of the destination company. That is marketing. That is marketing your company to yep. be known as the company to go to and work for if you're serious about working in this space. So the marketing side of not necessarily the services that you offer, which you don't ever want to stop those either, but of who you are is what will keep your applicants piling in all the time. So Companies that we work with that we're doing recruiting for, they they don't stop recruiting. They're constantly recruiting all the time. And this is yes. not just on a landscape. This is goes into marketing. This goes in like marketing agencies like what I run. This goes into every aspect of business out there. If I have somebody come into my company that appears to be a rock star in whatever it is that they do, I will make a spot for them. I will mm -hmm. figure it out. Because Thank you. Yes. We, yes, exactly. We want to keep good people coming all the time. We don't want the guy who is sitting at home on the couch going through Indeed listings trying to find a job, right? We want the guy that's working for our competitor. 
And in order to get in front of them, we need to market the hell out of ourselves, who we are, our culture. And this is what I tell our clients is we need to put what we call our cultural insights together for you. Show us how does your team work together? What kind of equipment do they get to have? Because trust me, if you guys are riding around on Z-sprays, Z, Z fertilizing lawns, you look a hell of a lot better than the guy that's got a hose on a truck. Yeah, tugging hose, property. that's right. <laughs> right? You, when you uh, share that your employees got this amazing Christmas party, they got all these gifts, they got this these bonuses. I don't remember which company it was. It was just in the news a couple of weeks ago that some massive, some company gave like $30 million in bonuses. I saw that landscape too. Phase. It was outrageous. Your employees. Yes. Yeah. So that makes people want to come because I'm over here working for company B and I didn't get anything for a bonus. And I see that you got this, right? right. I'm over here working with uh, an, an employee uh, co-workers that they don't, they don't do nothing. They don't care about their job. They're drug addicts. They're all these. And this company over here, they've got clean attire. They've got great employees. They've got great equipment. I want to go work over there. Right. So yes. after they're done with a hard day's worth of work, make sure your marketing is reaching these people that are in your industry that you want to come work for them. And this is not a quick throw a Google ad out there, throw a hundred bucks on there. Now all of a sudden I got a million applicants. This is a forever ongoing thing that you are constantly investing yes. in, into your own culture and to constantly be hiring. Uh, so no, you got to keep them both going at the same time. Once that train is going and out of the, out of the train station, you don't want to stop it, keep it going. And you just got to make sure that all sides are working together. And it sounds to me too, and I, I just want to make sure I'm highlighting this correctly. <clears throat> Again, if at any time I'm I'm misrepresenting what you said, please, please stop me. I don't want to yeah, do that. Absolutely. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, it sounds to me like you're saying that the brand image you project is critical to helping you recruit. A hundred percent, hundred percent. It's not only recruiting, but in sales too, right? So depending on yes. what side of the business you're in, and when I say the side of the business, I'm referring more to, are you on the lawn care side or are you on the landscape side, right? Design, build, and things like that. When it comes to design and build, your image as a company becomes critically important. If you're trying to sell $50,000 yes. projects, they want to know the type of company that they're working with. They're going to look, look you up. They're going to see your social. They want to see what kind of people are going to be coming out to their property and, and, and probably be there for several weeks. And be there right? for several weeks, exactly. <laughs> now, it may not be as critically important for sales if you're on the lawn care side, because in those cases, it's mostly, do you appear as a professional company? Are you in my price point? If so, let's close and have you out here mowing and fur and weed my, my property for me. So it's not as big of a deal on that side, and it is the landscape side, but still your cultural insights and cultural marketing is critical to your success for both sales and recruiting both. I don't think I could agree with that anymore. Um, the other thing that I just want to talk about at, at a higher level in terms of marketing um, mm -hmm. that I think people miss, and and it, and it dovetails really beautifully with this. Um, there's an exercise that we do in marketing. I'm sure you do this with, with some of your customers, Tony, um, where you identify the ideal customer profile, right? right? Yeah. You get your ICP. And for those listening that aren't familiar with this, this is basically you create a fictional person, right? Like you just look at your existing customers or the customers that you want to attract and you create a, a fictional person. You know, you've got their age in there, their marital status, their demographic, their education level, their home value, their net worth, 
what right. job they work in, right? Things they do, where they vacation. Yeah, they what things are they into, right? Yeah. What va- what values they hold? How do they vote? Do they vote Republican or Democrat, right? right. Like you, you you create this I, this person, and I've done this when I've consulted with companies before, you know, like they want to grow a section of their business. And I say, well, hold on, let's look at the market, right? right. Um, you have to look at who is in your local area before you can start growing and creating messaging to them. 100%. But Absolutely. I think that we miss this when it comes to recruiting, because Indeed and Monster have made us lazy, right? Yeah. You have to do you have to do the same thing for your candidates. Is that fair to say? Do you think that that's yeah. true as uh, well? Or uh, absolutely one hundred percent. So, my agency is a great example of this. So, we invest far more money into our recruiting than we do into our own marketing or anything else. Uh, people is everything, right? We cannot grow without people on our team. <clears throat> the majority of People in our company have all relocated across the country to come live here and work at our agency. Now, that says something because in 2023, most digital marketing agencies, they don't work in-house, right? Mm -hmm. They're spread across the United States. They use overseas fulfillment. My team works Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. in our Tampa. We have a nice 5,000 square foot class A building about 10 minutes east of downtown Tampa. Everybody comes there and works, which would be considered a downfall. For most people in this industry mm-hmm. uh, but i get people moving across the country and we even give relocation packages and stuff for people to come work with us specifically and fly past thousands of other marketing agencies so why do they do that and it's because of the way that we promote our culture our people how we treat people and we have we do all of those things because I cannot scale this business without them. I've got to have those people. So if you go to our social media, you will be able to see the types of things that we do. Every Friday, I buy lunch for every person in my company. After we get done eating, we go outside and we have custom cornhole boards, frisbees, footballs, and and we go have recess basically every, (laughs) every Friday for like 20, 30 minutes after we get done eating. Every time a new employee starts, I buy lunch for the entire company. We all sit around. We go around the around the circle. We introduce ourselves, what we do here at the company. Uh, we all we will always come up with a question like, "What is your favorite uh, uh, road trip snack?" For example, or "What's at the top of your bucket list?" And everybody will tell the person that way they can get acquainted and meet us. Uh, we make their their working environment uh, nice. good. We give everybody stand up, sit down desks. As we can start this call, you said, "Here I am standing." <laughs> Obviously, we have a video of each other. I'm not sure if everybody will be listening or watching us, but uh, you mentioned you see me standing up, and little tiny perks like that to your team makes all the difference, right? So, and you have to reinvest back into yourself and and get those people coming because, like you said, Indeed makes people lazy. The people searching on Indeed are the people that don't have jobs. I don't want people that don't have jobs. I want people that are working for my competitor and see how awesome it is over here and come work over here, right? That's what I want. I love it. I love it. And if you follow online on uh, LinkedIn, for example, I follow you guys on LinkedIn. I see cultural, like this cultural stuff you're talking about all the time, like so-and-so had a birthday. So-and-so is new to the team. Their favorite ice cream flavor is this. So-and-so just had their work <laughs> anniversary. You know, like it's this right. cultural stuff is is there all the time. So um, Tony really does put his put his money where his mouth is when it comes to this. Um, yeah, I just think that <clears throat> so often we forget, like, even if you, even, even people that know a good marketing, like strategy, right. They know to create these ICPs and they know to, to do that. Like, they don't think like, it's like they're, there's a disconnect between that and recruiting. They don't think 
about the overlap between the two, but really you can do the same thing. Like when you understand deeply who it is you want to come work for you, um, right. and you can write good uh, ad copy, you know, job descriptions and, and for the job boards, you can create good social media posts. You can write uh, or, you know, create, produce good videos that live on your careers page or your website. You can do all these things when you know who it is and you've got a very defined idea of who it is you want to come work for you. Right. Exactly. And that's actually why I started down that whole kind of tangent of everything we do is because our ICP is going to be a young technology driven type person. Right. And mm -hmm. all of the things that I just went through about all the things that we do, it speaks to those people. Right. Yep. I mean, you don't see too many 60 year old people that want to go outside and throw the Frisbee after they eat lunch with their company. Right. I want to be that 60 year old, but you know, <laughs> I, I do too. Right. <laughs> but the, the things that we're doing, they, they don't want to stand at their desk all day either. You know, they, they want to sit most of the day. You know, that's just this mm -hmm. is how it happens as you get older, which, you know, I'm, I'm not 60 by any means, but I'm not as young as I look either. Um, <laughs> the things that we do, we do that to attract the type of employees that we want here, right? Yes. And that's the main thing is people who are young, who are driven, uh, and and are very technology savvy. And this is the type of stuff that they like. And that's who we go after. That's why when you look at us, we don't have formal dress codes. Uh, we use profanity here because younger kids use profanity. That's who we are. Right mm. on our giant, uh, giant wall in our office, we have about a 30 foot wall, very long. And you can bleep this out if you need to, but it says, fuck average, be legendary. Real big <laughs> and a custom mural that we had painted on the wall. And our team, they love that stuff. They love that they place and be themselves. And when you market that, that enables us to find the staff that we need to be able to grow because we are their ideal place to work. I love it. I love it. So having a defined idea of who that that candidate is helps you to recruit better. Um, and you never stop doing the recruiting and the marketing. I love it. Um, same thing for the same thing for your customers too, by the way. I mean, you've got to have that that customer profile. Absolutely. Uh, when you're setting up your digital marketing, when you're going after people on Facebook, like those of you who've done Facebook ads and say ah, Facebook ads don't work, I've tried them. It's because you went in there and you targeted people interested in lawn care services. Well, people like Jay are interested in lawn care services because of his historical uh, patterns that he uses deals with things with lawn care. So if you were to run an ad to people interested in lawn care services, you're running an ad to people like Jay and other lawn care business owners. But if you were to run ads to people who buy groceries at these stores, that vacation overseas, that buy these types of items, that play golf, that are part of these groups this is your ideal buyer avatar or your icp like jay was just yes. saying that's where you're going to get better results not for people that facebook thinks is interested in lawn care but by targeting interest demographics uh behavioral patterns things like that based on what your ideal client does i i couldn't have said it any better that's exactly 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 where i was headed with that because like you know i had um again i i've done some consulting i had a business that said oh we want to grow our lawn care and um, they just wanted to like kind of spray and pray. And I was like, well, let's see what the, let's see what the market looked like. Let's look at your competitors. Let's mm -hmm. look at, um, what the demographics of your area are. <clears throat> and I created this, this ICP for them. And it turns out that like the best demographic for them to target was, you know, like mid fifties, um, 
white females uh that have a college education and uh vote democrat you know like it was one of these things where like they just and they that was like not on their radar at all and then we started looking at the competitors and they had like three or four companies in a very close radius to them that offered like 100 organic lawn care mm-hmm. and it was like light bulbs going off oh why right. are there so many of these competitors right. maybe because this is your market and you didn't right. even right so like doing that exercise is is truly valuable absolutely Um, and it's kind of scary too the things that you can target people on on the internet nowadays oh big brother is a real thing for sure oh yes my fbi agents listen to this right now shaking his head you know (laughs) absolutely they are collecting every piece of data and then selling it back to people like me to give to my customers to get them more, more, uh, more revenue coming in. So, yeah. And to be clear, if you're listening to this, I don't want you looking over your shoulder. That's like metadata. Like they're not actually selling Jane Doe's information to Tony. They're just saying, Hey, we can send an ad to Jane Doe on your behalf. Right. So correct. That's exactly what they do. They will say that they, I always like to explain it as buckets, right? People have Facebook has all these buckets, right? A bucket is somebody who buys luxury real estate is a bucket. People who vacation overseas is a bucket. I help people who shop at Whole Foods is a bucket, right? Yep. All these buckets. And you basically say, I want people who are in, and you can make combinations, this bucket or this bucket, or I want people who are in all of these buckets. So one person must be in all five of these buckets of interest in order for me to get my ads put to them. Now, I don't know that Jane Doe is in there, but Facebook does. And right. I can pick Facebook to put me in front of Jane Doe because she's in those buckets. And not to like hone in on this too, too much. I don't want to make this a, a, a but like the other thing that that has that's a double edged sword, right? Because it keeps your ad spend down because it narrows your audience. But then like that better be the actual audience. So right. like you just have to, there's a fine line you got to walk there. Yes, absolutely. It's not an in-demand base. It's not like Google where people are saying, hey, I want to hire this service today. If yes. you Facebook a hundred bucks and say, put it to this audience, they're going to spend that hundred bucks regardless. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It'll find those people. Yep. yep. Absolutely. So the last point you brought up was that these businesses that are really successful, one of the, the last common thread, they're active in their community and the industry. And I think this is three for three today, man. I think you're batting a thousand. Um, but from your observations, why is community involvement so important to business success? Because the community involvement is the brand, right? People remember organizations and people that do good things for the community. It's also, you know, they're there's two aspects to this, and we actually implement it into some of our marketing programs of finding local organizations that you can sponsor. So there is the community give back aspect. Then there's the brand visibility aspect that comes into it. Yes. So I recommend that you sponsor organizations. I am a huge yes. person when it comes to giving back and charity. I'm a person that I grew up uh, very poor and um as I as I became more successful in life, giving back in charity is something that really meant a lot to me. So we run Giving Tuesday campaigns, we sponsor organizations, we do all this kind of stuff. But the point is uh, that I'm making is there is more than one value to just besides just feeling good. So yep. let's say, for example, you sponsor the local league, uh, local little league baseball team. Right. You can go there, you sponsor it. It's a couple of hundred bucks. You're helping local kids get uniforms, be able to keep their field up. But along with that, mm-hmm. you've also got a link on their website. You've got a banner out on their outfield. And I hate to say it this way, but 
from a technical standpoint with SEO, uh, when somebody links to you, if it's what's called a do follow link, that means they're going to give you value and pass juice to you. And organizations, nonprofits, they don't have great web designers on staff. They don't know about that. So they pass off all their juice to you. So for like 200 bucks, 300 bucks, 500 bucks, there's various uh, amounts and organizations around that you can sponsor and become a sponsor, get listed on their website and all their authority that they hold, they will pass on to you by linking over to you. Yes. So that's, there's more than one value to it here uh, that you get, but you get that. You also get the brand. You get known. Uh, as you continuously sponsor these organizations, your name just becomes known as they see it over and over and over again. So there's the actual uh, branding aspects that come into it. So that's all the community stuff. It gives the people doing business with people type approach. It you know makes it so you're not such a, a, a corporation, such a business, right? You give back to your local community. Uh, the industry is completely different. Uh, the industry is... What before guy? before before you move on there, I want to just ask another question. So I'll let you get back to the industry side. So I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, go ahead. Because I, I, I have worked in these businesses. I've consulted with these businesses, businesses that that every day are actually doing this, right? They're sponsoring the Little League team. They're um, contributing time and money, you know, whether it's whether it's, you know, just giving of services or they're actually physically giving money to local nonprofits and charities, um, you know, helping the homeless, doing all these wonderful things. And the owners say nothing about it. Like they're on purpose. Like, no, you can't put that on Facebook because that's not why I'm doing it. Right. right. No, you can't talk about it because from our social platforms or put it on our website or whatever, because that's not why we do it. And I understand that argument. I'm sure you've heard that argument too, yes. but I, I guess my thought, and I have I have a response in my head. My response is always, but why can't you have both? Like you can do good for the right. for the purpose of doing good, and you don't have to make it like beating your chest, like look at us, we're the best. No, no, but no, no, but no. if you're doing good, um, people, you're, you're robbing the consumer of the chance to feel good about doing business with you when you don't when you don't talk about it, right? Like. People want to do like if I'm looking at this is going to sound like a corny analogy, but if I'm shopping at the grocery store and I need Caesar dressing, I love Caesar salad. If I need Caesar dressing and Newman's own is the same price as like the store brand, there's like a sale. I'm buying Newman's own because Newman's own gives back to charity and I feel good about the purchase. Right. Right. right? So why, why, why can't you be Newman's own of your your local market? Like, I don't understand. The way that you frame it too on social, because we we yes. have had that, <clears throat> but we don't want to be seen as the person that takes a selfie video giving the homeless guy a meal, like, hey, look what I did, right? Right, but, that's but, crass. I get that, but for the home, but for the owner that's listening and it's like, oh, I don't want, I don't feel comfortable with that. What would you say to them? I would say frame it in a way that you're trying to help the organization. So we we are masters at this because we do it all the time. You can see it right in our social media. So. This past Giving Tuesday, I think we gave two thousand dollars to each of the charities that we were uh, that we were promoting. So we make social posts about join us in helping this organization succeed. We mm. need your help. We're promoting them. We're not promoting ourselves. Yes, yes. we're making money Love as it. well. But the reason I'm posting this is so that I can use my network of people to drive more visibility 
in donations to this organization. Yes, I put in there that, that we're, we're raising money for them or we're donating money to them. Please join us in doing that and really give, tell their story a little bit and all of that. So it's very different when you change the frame or context of it to where I love it. you're pushing it for the organization versus promoting yourself and the good things that you've done. I love it. I love it. So that's why like the community involvement, by the way, you're a local service area business, right? So like being involved in the local area that you serve is just makes a lot of sense. That's brand visibility. It's giving back to your neighbors. There's lots of benefits from that. Why is it um, important for them to be active in the larger green industry community? Yeah. And before we get onto that, let me say one more point about the, yeah, please uh, about the local sponsorships. Let me silence my phone as well here. Um, so with the local sponsorships, one thing that a lot of people also don't think about <clears throat> is the people who are directing these various organizations and work in them, but specifically the directors of them, they are some of the most well-known and connected people in your city. So when it Come comes on. to jobs and referrals and things like that, these people can give you significant resources. And so, recruiting. And recruiting, yes. So that's why I was saying jobs. You know, if you need to yep. hire some people put it out there to your organization that you guys are sponsoring. They know who you are and say, you know, Hey, Mrs. Director here, we're trying to hire some people, get some more jobs in the local community. Do you mind yeah. uh, uh, put, putting this out there on your social media or, or posting it up in the building or whatever? These people know everybody, mm -hmm. right? Because that's their whole job as a director of organization is to network and to know people. So when you become good friends with those people because you're supporting their organization. They will support yours back. I love it. I, that's It's a two-way street. It's a partnership more than it is like, a, you know, pounding my chest. Look, I'm helping the the orphans or whatever. You're right. Like, it's not like right. about that, but you can, you can talk about partnerships and how you're investing in a community. I love it. I love it. Yep, love absolutely. it. All right. So um, industry stuff. So yeah. Why do they need to be involved in the green industry community at large? Absolutely. Um, and I would say for the exact reason why I'm involved in the marketing industry at large, and it's because it is your guide, right? It is what helps you get to that next level. Um, I am a huge, huge believer in masterminds and peer networks, peer groups. Yeah. Uh, there's several of them in this industry. I know Jeffrey Scott ones runs one, Marty Grunder runs one. Um, I know uh, Service Autopilot runs one. So there's various groups all throughout the industry that are masterminds. And these uh, these different groups, they have education, they have uh, peer support, things like that, that are going to help push you to the next level because in business, you don't know what you don't know. And when you get as part of the industry, you can get an insights to those things that you don't know from the other people. Uh, so I would say the the very number one thing is going to be the the people and support and the network that you get. Um, some of my best friends all own digital marketing agencies. I can pick them, pick up my phone anytime that I want, call those people, and they can help me, give me advice, things like that. The other side is going to be education. Those are the two things. Mm. The people that support you, the, the second is going to be the education. What are the new things coming out? How should you be doing these various strategies? Yep. What's working? What's not? Um, so things like uh, new equipment that that is going to be coming out, new software that's coming that's up and about. Yep. Uh, it can be new, like I said, new tactics or strategies. This works better. That works better. Here's how we transition residential maintenance customers into signing 12 month agreements. You know, like you can learn yes. all of that kind of stuff by being part of the industry. You don't have to be 
some lost some lost person walking along the dense woods having no idea where you're going right these things can be a guide for you and that's yep. what your industry does i love it i don't think i could agree with all of that anymore you get um support from people who have maybe been where you're going right um some peer support people that are at the same level as you and like they've got a solution to something you're still trying to struggle with or you have a solution to something they're trying to figure out that's kind of a collaborative nature and then also just kind of staying at the forefront um, of what's coming next. I I think what you said there first is the most important aspect to it. And and any of us, you know, I'm sure everybody here listening are mostly all entrepreneurs. Is that right, Jay? Everybody here is all usually business. Um, Yeah. I mean, or, or at various levels, you know, maybe they haven't started the company, but they're um, running it. Maybe they're the CEO or um, things like that. So yeah, we got, we've got a good mix. I think, I think we've got some frontline workers too, but it's all in between. So if you want to fast track your business, which this is something that I wish I would have learned 10 years ago, uh, get involved in your industry and in these various masterminds, because they will shape a decade off of things that you'll have to learn through Mm. trial and error. So you got to be involved with that, with the, with the industry um, for, for various reasons. It's just a great thing you have to do. I love it. I love it. Now, Tony, uh, as we're wrapping up the show here, if someone's interested in talking to you, learning more about Law Online, how they can, you know, your services can help them. You not only offer, you know, marketing, um, social services, websites, you offer recruiting services. How would they reach out to you to to learn more about what you do? Absolutely. So LinkedIn is a great way to reach me. Um, just go search for Tony Ricketts on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Facebook. Um, you can call our office. Somebody here will always answer. You can email us. You can go to our website, online.marketing. Uh, there is no .com on that. That is a unique domain name. That's an exact match to our company name. So just type in online.marketing into your web browser, into Google. You'll get to our website and find out about everything that we do there. Uh, like you mentioned, Jay, websites, SEO, advertising, social media, recruiting, all of that stuff. It has to do with the internet. We basically do it. I love it. Tony, thank you so much for making the time today. This has been a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on today. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Wait, before you go, did you know that this podcast is only one of the free resources we've created just for you? It's true. We've got guides outlining the best practices for the green industry, including how to market your business, streamline your sales process, and recruit and retain the best talent in your market. Plus, there are guides about what reports you should be monitoring and best practices for change management. You can find these at singleops.com under the resources tab. You can also check out blogs with topics like turning invasive pests into a recurring revenue stream, how to correctly price your services, how to properly approach your customers with a price increase, how to persuade your boss to get the tools you need, and of course, best practices for switching your software. There's no sales pitch with that one. It's just a list of items to consider. You can find those articles and more at singleops.com backslash blog. Use the search bar if you're looking for something specific. We're here to help. And now we're going to let you get back to that sweet outro music.